My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Going to do another one of these shorter form solo podcast episodes here. And what I'm going to basically be talking about today is three types of what we call cognitive distortions in cognitive behavioral therapy. I will explain what that term means, but it's basically inaccurate ways of thinking that I am already starting to see in some of the coverage around a possible Trump 2024 presidential win. I'm also noticing those cognitive distortions in my own thoughts as I read the coverage of this possibility. And I want to try and bring a little bit of uh, potential relief to listeners who have a lot of anxiety about this possibility. Some listeners might not be concerned about a second presidential Trump term, but I assume many or even most of us are. This may only be a concern for some of us, but it can also easily become clinically significant anxiety. Some people might even be having panic attacks already about this possibility. I am certainly concerned about Trump as president. I don't mean to downplay that. Nothing I'm going to say today is meant as any sort of defense of Donald Trump as president. Uh, As some of you know, I flew to Nevada with some friends and canvassed for Hillary in 2016 because of my deep concern about a Trump presidency. This year, if time and energy allow, I hope to uh, again, donate some resources, some time, et cetera, to to Biden's campaign. So don't don't hear me kind of downplaying downplaying the politics of it. However, that being said, I still think there's quite a bit of room to kind of, I don't know, look with nuance at what's going on here and reduce our own anxiety about this situation. And I think by doing so, we actually can move toward, some cognitive and mental skills that uh, will help us throughout the rest of our lives. Now, there's clearly a relationship here between this rising anxiety and the news media, right? Headlines are coming fast and furious. Last month, there was a bunch of early polls in swing states that were getting a lot of attention. About a month ago, The Atlantic devoted an entire monthly issue to what might happen in a second Trump term, right? So we just had the holidays as well. Loved ones, perhaps conversations about politics came up. Uh, Maybe there's a fresh feeling of anxiety there about, you know, a seemingly impassable chasm between us and loved ones about, you know, seeing the world with, with frankly speaking, different facts 
completely different sources of information, completely different, or at least wildly different. Again, I'm I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to stay away from overstatement here, but significantly different sort of informational worlds that we inhabit. And so I thought, yeah, maybe this stuff is kind of fresh. I've certainly noticed it in myself, and it wouldn't be a bad time to to address it. Some friends of mine are engaging in what I would consider like an anticipatory defense mechanism. They are assuming that he will in fact win. Uh, I think that in some cases this is to sort of lessen the blow, which I understand if he were to win, but it can sometimes feel like kind of a nihilism. And that also seems to me to be like maybe only necessary because of the overwhelming anxiety of the thought that he could win. So we'll just start accepting that reality now. Basically, I think there's a, a lot of ways that we can understandably, I have compassion for this, that we can understandably err in our thinking and kind of go to various extremes to essentially make our emotional state better in the short run. So here's the situation as I see it in, in reality. The fact is he could very well win. He is very likely at this point, I'm recording this on January 12th, to gain the GOP nomination. Chris Christie just dropped out. Nikki Haley may emerge as a front runner, uh, but mathematically, that would be very surprising if anybody else were to get the nomination. But it's also true that he could very well not win the presidency uh, because the last time he faced the exact competitor he's going to face now, Joe Biden, he lost. And in fact, since the 2016 election, the Make America Great Again or MAGA movement, that is uh, candidates who act and talk like Trump, align themselves to Trump, for who, whom Trump endorses, these candidates have generally fared quite poorly outside of extremely safe districts or Republican primaries. So both midterm elections were big blows for the GOP, uh, both during Trump and Biden's presidency. And of course, Biden beat him in 2020. So one of the things that we ask in cognitive behavioral therapy, and, and one of the ways that, that some forms of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT really sort of summarize the whole process is by learning to ask, what is the evidence for and against an idea that I'm having? And I would say at this point, there is evidence for both. There is evidence that Trump will win. There is evidence that Trump will lose. I personally think the smart money is on him losing, but I don't know that. The fact is nobody knows. At this moment, no one can say. And so to say he will definitely win or to say he will definitely lose, that's going out over our skis. That is writing a check that we cannot cash with evidence. So that leaves us in a fundamentally uncomfortable position, many of us, a position of uncertainty. Uncertainty is not something that human beings like. I think those of us who came out of conservative religious environments can attest to the power of certainty, the power of the human desire for certainty. Uh, I think that's almost like shorthand in, in this community. I don't even really need to say much more. So in terms of being a, a healthy human being or having a healthy human mind, I think in the long run, I hope for myself, for my clients, for others, that we, if we plot a direction relative to uncertainty, it is that we increase in our capacity to live our lives amidst uncertainty. 
That's the goal. Not to manufacture certainty where there is none. That's the problem. So eight years ago, the 2016 election, and then four years ago, I played out a tape that I am starting to feel myself want to play out again. And so this episode is as much for me as it is for you. Each of those times, I spent many, many hours reading and listening to politics content that I desperately hoped would assuage my anxiety, that would basically fill in that uncertainty and move it toward as close to certainty as possible that everything was going to be okay. I listened to countless episodes of the 538 Politics Podcast, hoping that the most data-savvy pundits would calm my fears. Maybe, maybe you didn't take that route. Maybe you submerged yourself in MSNBC, which, in my personal opinion, serves up a bunch of content that liberals desperately want to be true, whether or not it is. Or maybe Politico for the more kind of uh, politics junkies among us. I did this more four years ago than eight years ago because in 2016, I, I really thought that he was going to lose. I didn't think he had much of a chance, much like so many others. But nonetheless, I really understand. I have a very clear sense of this tendency I have in these anxious political moments, especially around Donald Trump, to, to just sort of like soak in this stuff. If it's on Twitter, then doom scrolling is a good uh, word for it. But if it's audio content, just like consuming all this content. I don't know about you, but I'm trying to not go through that again. And there are multiple reasons that I don't want to go through it. Here's two of them. Number one, it was not a good use of my time and my energy. In the end, I voted and I waited to hear the results. Obviously in 2016, I did some canvassing. That's another thing that I did. Uh, nothing I consumed though, in the 16-month period leading up to either election had the slightest effect on the rest of my life choices during that time, other than to Canvas in 2016, which I, which I may repeat. Now, we do have two kids. We had zero then. So things have changed in my life, but we'll see if there is something that I can do. Well, also, in 2016, I started Depolarize. That was kind of my... That was my attempt to sort of do something about it. I think that was actually a good use of my time and resources. I think canvassing was a good use of my time and resources. Actually, it was super fun. Uh, my friends and I all agreed that we had a really great time. It was very meaningful. Socially, it was enjoyable. The work was not too hard. So those kinds of things are, are not what I'm talking about. I'm not dissuading anybody or arguing against putting your time and resources into actual material taking action, essentially, right? That was a good use of my time, but I spent many, many, many more hours than I spent doing that just reading, listening, obsessing, texting with friends, hoping that somebody could calm my anxiety. And the second reason that I'm trying not to go through this again is that there was a healthier option. Had I been able to do it, I could have accepted the uncertainty and gone on living my life. I want to say it again because it doesn't just apply to politics. This applies to having children, wondering if they might have medical issues, wondering about how they're learning. Kids are a huge source of uncertainty in a parent's life. Accept the uncertainty and go on living my life. That's what I wish that I had done. And that's what I'm hoping to convince myself to a greater degree to do here. So 
My assumption is that at least some of you feel the same way and that this might be helpful. If that doesn't sound helpful, you can turn this episode off now, but I imagine it might be helpful. And I'll also say this is a pretty good episode to share uh, with other people. And hopefully it will it's brief, practical, and helpful. So the main way I'm talking about this today is through talking about cognitive distortions, which I already mentioned. These are also called thinking errors, uh, depending on who you talk to that's, that's doing cognitive behavioral therapy. They are one of the primary elements used in CBT. And so I'm going to be going through examples of potentially distorted and irrational thoughts related to the upcoming election. Specifically, I'm going to go through three of the common types of cognitive distortions, and in future episodes, I might get to more. Also later, I'd like to talk about the work of acceptance, also called radical acceptance, and how that might help us both in the interim before the election and afterwards, especially if Trump does win. I think that working through cognitive distortions and getting our thinking more accurate and working on acceptance, that can be kind of a virtuous circle between those two. The recognition of our distortions can kind of turn down the heat or volume a bit, which then makes acceptance easier. So these things work in tandem, but there's the, I kind of want to keep these episodes short, so I'm not going to be trying to bite off too much each time. Before we get into it, I want to address two potential pushback angles right away. Some of you might be thinking, Dan, this is not the time for acceptance and CBT. This is the time for action. Well, I agree. The other side of the acceptance coin is exactly that. It's using your energy and resources in ways that will actually make a difference and which line up with your values. The hundreds of hours I spent listening to podcasts did not do that. The volunteering did do that. So I want to encourage us to practical and actual uses of our energy, and I want to encourage us away from cycles of anxious thoughts, hand-wringing, and obsessively consuming content. Again, I'm talking to myself. Uh, The second potential pushback is, hey, this is easy for you to say, you're privileged. Your life is not threatened by a Trump presidency. I would say that's 100% correct. My family will likely be buffered from much of whatever might transpire in a second Trump term. But thinking more accurately and learning to accept reality are just as important for people for whom that's not true as for anybody else. I'll give two reasons for that. Number one, for those people, if they could marshal their resources, their time, energy, whatever, toward practical ends, that's even better for them than it is for me. For me, marshaling my resources to something practical like canvassing is good, it's helpful, it's it's values-oriented action, but it's not about survival for me. It's just about using my energy well. For someone for whom it might be about survival, even better to not be spinning wheels in cognitive distortions, not be numbing to avoid the reality or the pain of uncertainty. So, yes, I'm privileged, but that doesn't make the content less applicable to people who are less privileged. My 
wife and I are just days away from the birth of our second son. And so if you are hearing this now, it means that I am currently getting no sleep and I will not be conducting any You Have Permission interviews for the next few weeks. Don't worry, we've already we've banked a bunch of them ahead of time, so there will not be any sort of significant break in the action from your perspective uh, unless something else happens. So no big deal there. And I'm not I'm not here asking for, you know, a sympathy Patreon contribution or anything like that. I'm just letting you know that this ad is going to be running for a month or two because I'm not going to want to record another one and tell you about the perks of becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Dan Coke. Those perks include, of course, two exclusive episodes per month not available on the main feed, at least not the whole thing on the main feed, access to the Facebook group, which is for patrons only, and every episode of this podcast ad-free on the special patron feed, which comes into your email inbox once you sign up and you can add it to your regular podcast app and you can listen to all these episodes, the normal ones, not just the patron ones, without any ads. So that's why you might go to patreon.com slash Dan Coke and give seven bucks a month to be a part of the Patreon community. You might also do it mainly because of the Facebook group and the resources there and the community there. There's any number of reasons, really, why you might want to do this. You might think of it as like a, a, a shower present for a new baby. You might just feel bad for me. And maybe you've been here. Uh, before. Maybe you've been here more than two times and you know just how exhausted I will be for the foreseeable future. Either way, thank you for being a regular listener of this show, whether or not you join the Patreon community. I don't really care. I'm grateful for your involvement. Thanks for listening, thinking through this stuff with me. I appreciate all the emails I get from listeners. Feel free to send those. This is getting too long for a Patreon ad, so I will end it here. Patreon.com slash Dan Coke, our family of now four. Thanks you. So let me explain now cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are common ways that human beings think about things irrationally. The assumption is that they developed for good evolutionary reasons this is sometimes the way that I describe them to clients when I'm kind of explaining these things. So for instance, uh, the, the three that we're talking about today are all or nothing thinking, catastrophizing, and fortune telling, which I'll get into each of these. But these are kind of, they're quick shortcuts of thought that tend to amplify emotion and therefore amplify the chance that we will act quickly, quickly and decisively, even if we are acting irrationally. Now, why would that matter evolutionarily? Let me give you an example. Imagine there are 100 disconnected groups of human beings with slightly different genetics spread out all over the African savanna. Humans or proto-humans, you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. Some of those groups, when there's a sign of potential danger, a twig cracks or they hear something or see something. They get a bad feeling. 
about maybe there's danger. They, they see another tribe and they wonder if they can trust that tribe of people. Think about those hundred different ones. Now, some of them are going to have more of a tendency to jump to quick conclusions about those other people. Perhaps they are more likely to uh, react to fear, fear of, of a possible, you know, danger that would impact their survival. Whereas other tribes with different genetics are more likely to weigh things, to go, ah, eh, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Okay, now you can kind of see where this is going. In 2024, let's not get ahead of ourselves is often the right thing to do. But in 200,000 BC, for instance, the human beings or proto-humans with the genetic tendency to overreact to danger and, and be really on the safe side and maybe villainize the other group, they are less likely to be duped. They are less likely to be attacked by roaming lions and tigers. Basically, there is a survival benefit of being sort of extra careful, but that's not even the right way of saying it. It's like being wired in a way that makes one maximally likely to protect oneself against threats, something like that. And so in a different time of human existence, the people who did that were more likely to live because it only takes one time that you think, ah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But actually it, it was a bunch of lions and now everybody's dead. Or actually that other tribe was out to kill you and take all of your berries and game that you had hunted and now you're all dead. So it only takes one false negative, essentially. One time that you ignore the signs and you're dead and the people who were overly cautious, they survive and their genetics goes on. Now, this is not the only cause for cognitive distortions, as I understand it, but it's a, it's a pretty good way of kind of motivating where they come from. So that's where they come from. We're going to talk about three specific ones that psychologists have identified over the years, cognitive psychologists, and apply it to the kind of Trump news cycle. The first of these is catastrophizing. So when we catastrophize, we focus on only the worst possible outcomes of a group of many possible outcomes. I'll say that one more time. We focus on only the worst possible outcome or outcomes when, in fact, there are many possible outcomes. So, for instance, there we might focus just on will Trump win or will Trump lose? But if he wins, there are many possible outcomes. For instance, in 2016, there was a lot of catastrophizing about what might happen if Trump were to become president for the first time. I read many articles to this effect. Most of the things in those articles did not come to pass. There were, in fact, other possible outcomes that included a Donald Trump presidency, but did not include nuclear war, did not include the breaking down of the global order, at least not during his tenure, did not include, you know, fill, fill it in, however. So all these outcomes were imagined by the press. And if I were, and I was, <laughs> believe me, mentally unhealthy in that time, I would focus on the most catastrophic. So there were some bad outcomes. I think our moral standing in the world dropped significantly. Trump weakened many institutions in American and global life. 
specifically, as you guys, some of you know, refugee uh, resettlement is a major issue for me. And Trump all but decimated the refugee resettlement industry, which is only now recovering uh, almost eight years later. And obviously there was the humanitarian border crisis with, you know, family separation and detention, ICE and all that. But then there were also many possibilities that didn't happen. We did not have anything really go down with North Korea. Trump did not get us into a needless war over his stupid decisions, something I worried about. There was an insurrection on January 6th and it failed, right? So the point here is not that terrible things won't happen. They'll never happen. Of course, sadly, terrible things do happen in our world, but we often focus exclusively on those worst outcomes. And we do this, especially when we are consumed by anxiety or depression. So we hear a lot about people staying silent, failing to speak up when atrocities were just around the corner. Again, that of course does happen, but we hear a lot less about the times when people wrongfully assumed that catastrophes were imminent. Again, 200,000 years ago, there was a real life or death survival benefit to this. Today, for, for some people, occasionally, there's a life and death survival situation, but not for nearly as many people. And yet the mental categories, these well-worn paths are still there. They're in our genetics. So if all we want to do is survive, then, you know, cognitive distortions can help because we can be super attuned to really big calamities that we will probably avoid because we're constantly thinking about them. But do we just want to survive? We live in 2024. We don't live in 200,000 BC. If we want to thrive in the modern world, for the vast majority of us, for the vast majority of our lives, it is better to think accurately and see the world more clearly rather than be consumed by anxieties such that maybe once or twice those, those might just save our lives at some point. They're unlikely to these days. Probably what will happen to most of us, like mathematically, probably in the West, most of us will die between age 70 and 100 of various common causes of death. We will get cancer. We will die of old age. Some of us will have dementia. Most of us will not die much younger than that through calamitous means. We just we just mostly won't. Most of us will not become refugees from a war, at least not in America, UK, Canada, Australia. Most of us will probably not. I don't know if you can find Vegas odds on this kind of thing, but I bet you that the chances of, let's say, I don't know, 50 million Americans becoming refugees, the chances of that have to be, I don't know, one in a thousand, something like that. Very low. Okay. So that's catastrophizing. Again, bad things do happen, but it's about getting a more accurate sense of what is actually likely to happen. The next one, fortune telling. Fortune telling is when we predict the future. We say, this is going to happen. This is a fun one because it gets into philosophy a little bit and epistemology and how can we know and what do we know and how do we know that we know. I'll tell you one thing I know. Humans love when other people claim to know the future. And that is what so much of my politics consumption was about. I wanted smart people to tell me as much as possible 
what would happen in the future so I could stop worrying about it. But when we're honest, we know that people cannot do this. People do not know the future. This is something we have to learn to accept as we grow into adulthood. There is inherent uncertainty in the world, and that very much includes what will happen in the future. Now, this sounds like I'm saying it like it's bad news that we don't know what will happen in the future, but I don't think so. I think it's kind of good news. And it is especially good news for those of us like myself who struggle with anxiety, because often we predict the future in our own minds. And when we're anxious or depressed, do you think those predictions tend toward the rosy and happy outcomes? Of course they do not. They tend toward the darker timelines, so to speak. See catastrophizing. It can be freeing to realize that we don't know what will happen, in part because it takes some of the pressure off. All of us are riding a wave at all times, much like a surfer. We do not have control over how big the wave is, where the wave breaks, where it swells. All we can do is respond to that wave and ride it our way. Now, the way that fortune telling increases anxiety is that when we predict the future, much like with catastrophizing, we tend to predict the worst versions, worst options that thing, of ways that things might work out in the future. So like when I say I have friends who are assuming that he will win in, I think, an attempt to sort of buffer their anxiety ahead of time, that's fortune telling. The fact is they don't know. Nobody knows. Nate Silver at 538 doesn't know. David Brooks doesn't know. Nobody knows. And the future is by definition unwritten at all times. So if we need certainty, that's scary. But there is also a freedom in learning to recognize, hey, we're on a train and we don't exactly know where it's heading. So those negative outcomes that when we are anxious, we feel like, well, this is definitely going to happen. Of course, this bad thing's going to happen. We don't know. We don't know that. And what we can often do is look back on previous situations and be surprised when good things happen in situations where we thought bad things were going to happen. Finally, third cognitive distortion we're going to talk about today is all or nothing thinking. So this is often described as like, there are two options it's, it's everything or it's nothing. It's a light switch binary. Somebody who is struggling in school might feel like, you know what? If I'm not perfect, then I have failed. If I get a B plus in one of my classes, then I am a failure. That's an example of all or nothing thinking. Uh, I like to think of Talladega Nights, the Ricky Bobby story, the Will Ferrell and John C. Riley movie, uh, in which the phrase is commonly repeated, if you're not first, you're last. That's a perfect example of all or nothing thinking. Of course, that's false. If you are third, then you're not last. You're third. <laughs> Some things in life are truly all or nothing. They are black and white. They are binary choices. In this instance, winning or losing an election, that's an all or nothing prospect. Only one candidate wins and the rest lose. However, the overall state of the nation, that is not itself an all or nothing outcome. We don't have single dictator rule during the four years of a president's term. And we saw the limits of presidential power pretty clearly during Trump's last term, for instance. Presidents can do some things unilaterally, like they can issue executive orders 
which are then often immediately overturned four years later when the next guy gets in from the other party. So those are, you know, that's all or nothing in a sense. Other things they can do if they have one or two houses of Congress aligned, but even then they're limited by moderate senators and members of Congress. Think about Joe Manchin for the Democrats or Mitt Romney for the GOP. And if we zoom out a few years, we also see that when one major party gets a bunch of stuff done, then there is generally a political backlash that tends to correct the course. So for instance, the conservative Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, ending the constitutional protection for abortion. A lot of the messaging around that time was the sky is falling. This is a catastrophe. And in some states, there uh, are some real concerns, especially really conservative states, where, in my personal opinion, some of the laws to restrict abortion have become draconian. Uh, They are verging on abuse of mothers, you know, incest and rape, uh, you know, just astonishingly early week, uh, you know, after six weeks, stuff like that, when most people don't even know they're pregnant yet. I mean, some of that stuff I think is, uh, is bad, but generally speaking, the overwhelming electoral reaction to Roe v. Wade being overturned and this perceived overreach by conservative state governments has been blue waves in many swing states and a pretty firm rejection of those draconian abortion laws. That's what we've seen. In fact, abortion may be the issue that puts Biden over the top against Trump this year. It seems to be hugely motivating for people when they go to the polls. Back and forth it goes, over and over, year after year, decade after decade. Every election year, both parties pull out the strongest language they can. We saw this in 2020, quote, the most important election in our lifetimes. And if you were paying attention, you heard Republicans say it and you heard Democrats say it. And now they're both saying it again. And it might be true. It might not be true. I don't know if this will be the most important one. What I know is that people trying to motivate votes will say that as often as they can get away with saying it. It is a tactic whose sole purpose is getting people to vote, which is a noble purpose. Democracy, indeed, is a gorgeous thing in my mind. But the purpose of that messaging tactic of saying this is the most important election of our lifetimes is not to help voters see the world more clearly. That messaging utilizes this module, this propensity for black and white, all or nothing thinking, as well as our fear of the unknown to motivate a particular call to action. In this case, to motivate us to vote. It also probably motivates more man hours of volunteer work. I'm sure it motivates more financial giving to campaigns. I get it. That's a part of democracy. I actually think it's good overall to have a system like that. But at a personal level, when I see or hear that messaging, that black or white, all or nothing thinking, my hope for myself is that I would be able to identify that there's some all or nothing distorted thinking going on here, even as... I donate time, money, other resources, for instance, to campaigning against Trump, right? Which I did eight years ago and will do some again this time. But even while I do that, while I want to be able to recognize that's a tactic and that doesn't mean that if Trump wins, it is the end of American democracy. Again, that's possible. I don't know what's going to happen, but what tends to happen is that someone overreaches and then there's a backlash 
And then there's a backlash to that backlash. And it goes back and forth and it gets batted around. That's just what, that's just how democracy goes. So my unsolicited advice around this issue, which again, I'm giving to myself more than you guys, limit the number of articles and podcasts you consume, especially about national political figures and issues. Local stuff is different. You have a lot more of a voice. You can literally go down the street, give some of your time, uh, be involved in something that makes a difference in people's lives in your area. That's different. I'm talking about national stuff where all you really get to do is vote one time every four years, maybe every two years if you're voting in midterms. And most of us in most states, that vote is not even going to matter. In Washington, it's not going to matter. Donald Trump is not going to win Washington. There's no chance of that. So even my vote is useless here in that sense, but maybe not my time. Again, canvassing stuff like that. So I would say, especially if you don't, obviously, if you don't struggle with anxiety, you're probably not still listening to this. If you don't worry about this kind of thing, then do whatever you want. If it's not causing you anxiety and you just like politics and you're a, a hobbyist or perhaps you're a political professional, that's your job, then of course I'm not going to tell you not to read about it. I'm talking to people like myself who struggle with some anxiety around it. So you're going to vote. You already know who you're going to vote for, for president. You don't need, you don't need any more information. So if you want to engage in politics, unless it's just like a fun hobby for you, I recommend do it locally. Volunteer based on a particular issue you care a lot about. If you live in a major city, there's probably a, a refugee resettlement agency near you. Uh, the big one up here is, is World Relief and I believe Catholic Charities, something like that. But basically, essentially, the, the advice is to be engaged in values-based action that puts you in contact with other human beings. If you're not going to volunteer your time to sign people up or vote or something like that, then just do other things with your time and energy. Go outside, spend time with your family and friends. Go see that movie people are talking about. Go grab a meal at that new restaurant with someone. Go to a concert. Go to a farmer's market. Go to church. Our personal catastrophic visions of America's future do not count as evidence that a catastrophic American future is going to come. I'm going to say that one more time. Our personal catastrophic visions, which are often motivated by a desire to temporarily relieve our anxiety, those visions do not count as evidence that something is actually going to happen. No one can predict the future. Embrace the uncertainty and go on living your life. I don't want to wake up in early November and think, I wasted 500 hours of 2024 consuming stuff that had no effect on my life, no effect on the nation, did not lead to me doing anything in the world. Just I just was trying to salve my anxiety one dopamine hit at a time. I don't want to I don't want to say that in November. And so if you're enough like me that this is a concern for you, I don't want you to say that either. I plan to do more of these episodes focusing on additional cognitive distortions as well as like I mentioned earlier talking about acceptance, discerning the own limits of our agency and control. Uh, for now, thanks for listening. I, I think we are going to talk about acceptance, agency, and control in an upcoming episode with Kristen and Josh. Not necessarily about politics, but that stuff will apply here. Please share this with friends that you think might benefit from hearing it. And 
I just appreciate you guys. I'm so glad I get to, to do this, make this podcast as a part of my job. So thank you for also forgiving. I think I was, I'm at like 80% today. Definitely still struggling with some newborn sleep deprivation here, but I think it was clear enough to be helpful. <laughs> I hope so. All right. See you guys next time.